The following podcast includes naughty language, if you believe in that sort of thing. Hello and welcome to episode 280 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Vienna, Virginia. This is Ben Olson. With me is Nathan Fox in Stateline, Nevada. How's it going, man? Great, man. How are you? Very good. Uh, I've been working out a lot lately, even though it's cold. I feel like usually in the winter I stop working out for some reason, so I'm happy about that. You're like an outdoor workout guy a lot of the time, right? You run and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Half the time it's outdoor, half the time it's like weights. I got to get back into something, man. I've been slacking. I hiked a lot this summer, but then it got cold and snowy here, and there hasn't been good enough snow to like ski. So mm-hmm. it's just this weird like shoulder season where it's cold outside and so I've been like hibernating, but that's not good. I need to start I gotta get something <laughs> going again. Yeah. I just downloaded well, it's impressive to me how like the apps just keep getting better and better. I just downloaded an app yesterday for hit training and it did all the things I would expect and like it to do. But I just I don't know, even like Six months ago, I don't think I would have seen something like that. Everybody's just figuring this stuff out and producing it and releasing it. But it asked me like some questions. It's like, hey, how hard do you want to work? How long? Da 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 da. And then just threw up a workout. Cool. Well, I might yeah. have to get some uh, tips from you off the air. What's cool. uh, what's on the show this week? All right. So we have a quick PSA. You can read aloud with accommodations. We have someone asking for help because they're scoring far below their practice range on official tests, uh, on their official tests. Okay. We have a junior in college looking for advice. Specifically, that's advice about uh, timelines, like how to go straight from undergrad right into law school. Okay. We have three waitlist questions that came in on the same day. All right. People want to know about that. And depending on how much time we have, we're going to go over another logical reasoning question from test 65, maybe two. Sounds great. This will, Yeah. This will air on Monday, January 18th. Um, the January LSAT flex scores come out by February 3rd. That's a Wednesday. Um, you do have to have your LSAT writing done before you can get your scores, by the way. Did they change that back? Because I know they've gone back and forth on that. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> okay. That looks new in our agenda. So yeah, maybe, <laughs> they, maybe they, they re- I mean, they've changed their restrictions off and on so many times. Like it was funny cause they, they did that, but then they were having all kinds of problems with the LSAT writing. So they took yeah. that restrict, they took that away. They were, Oh no, 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 no. You can have your score before you do LSAT writing. Cause we fucked up on LSAT writing, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe they've got their stuff fixed and. They've got the restriction back. Well, well, I will say this. Regardless of whether they will give you your score contingent on your LSAT writing, I would say that in the whole application process, LSAT writing is probably the easiest thing. It's even easier than letters of recommendation because with letters of recommendation, you have to like corral people into doing something for you, right? Like the writing sample is 35 minutes and it's easy. Just sit down and... Do it. No, watch one of our videos. We have like 15 minute videos. You could watch just one of those, never practice it, 
sit down and immediately do it. It's the easiest writing assignment you're ever going to do. You, you should have a plan for it, but if you watch one of our videos, you'll have a plan for it immediately. It's like the, really, it's the most straightforward thing you could possibly do. It's nothing. So don't prep for it before your test. Um, I think, yeah. right. I mean, you've got three weeks while they use their abacus to calculate your scores. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so in that three weeks, you can easily knock out the LSAT. And writing. if you're type A and you've really done everything else in your life, you can read through, I think we have an example in the demon of a model essay. I can't remember now, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's the most formulaic <laughs> simplest writing assignment you're ever going to do. So it's no, no problem. All right. So the February LSAT flex testing week starts on February 20th. Um, the April LSAT flex registration deadline is Wednesday, February 24th. <laughs> okay. So is that in the middle of the LSAT flex testing? It looks week? like it's during the February LSAT flex testing week, which means you might be able to actually take that test before you decide whether to register for April. If you can, if they give you a slot before in the beginning of that testing week. And then you can wait six more weeks and take, or maybe more the April LSAT flex starting April 10th. Um, Email the show at help at thinking LSAT.com. We love hearing from you and getting your questions. Leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, quick glance suggests that our most most of our negative one-star reviews come from people who do not like our political views even though this is not a political show some opinions <laughs> to seem to be common sense in any case um <laughs> no shit listen listen Ben. <laughs> what point is there of having the ability to impeach a president and remove them from office if it's not going to be employed when someone incites an actual riot inside the fucking Capitol building. What, what other, what other yeah. scenario do you want? <laughs> like, okay. If your position is we should appoint presidents for life and not have the ability to remove them from office, that's, a dumb idea, but that's a, that's at least <laughs> like makes some kind of sense yeah. compared to, Oh no, yeah. we, we shouldn't, we should not punish people for taking an actual shit on the floor inside of the Capitol building and smearing it on the walls. Yeah. That's no, we need to come together now as a people <laughs> like, no, <laughs> whatever. Listen, Trumpers, I don't want you listening to the podcast anyway. Please don't listen to the show. You're not, we're, you're, don't just go away. <laughs> it's, it's over. It's over. We don't want you listening to the show. Please don't listen to the show. Yeah. Or I don't know, like wake up to the lies. I don't understand. I mean, every politician lies, but Trump's lies are beyond uh, insanity in my mind. Okay. Well, with that, thank you for those of you who are still here. Um, Let's read about these accommodations. Sure, sure. I think we actually mentioned this in passing last week. Okay. But um, we had said on the show, because it is true that most people, norm, normal people, yeah. aren't allowed to read out loud yeah. on the LSAT flex. Your proctor will come, will interrupt you during the test and 
potentially cancel your test if you read out loud. And it's got to be an anti-cheating measure because your friend, Ben Olson, could be there underneath the standing desk and you could be reading out loud and Ben could be giving you the answers. Yeah. I'm sure that's why there's a restriction against reading out loud, but... Hi guys, hope all is well. The podcast is great. I've been listening for about two years or so. What I like best is that you cut through the bullshit and get straight to the point of everything. Personally, that helps me learn so much better. So thanks for that. I was listening to the most recent episode of the podcast and a question about accommodations was raised. The discussion involved the idea of receiving an accommodation to read aloud during the test and that it is generally not allowed, but you wondered if an accommodation had ever been provided to do so. I am registered to take the January LSAT, good luck, by the way, and I applied for accommodations for extra time to read out loud and to have additional pieces of scrap paper. I write a lot. Please don't shame me. Then what is normally allowed? I received all of the accommodations that I asked for without having to jump through any hoops other than submitting the normal paperwork. Hope this helps. I look forward to more episodes and catching up on older ones in preparation for the test. Thanks for all you do. Sincerely, Josh. Well, thanks, Josh. Thanks for the update. Um, I have to admit that uh, I don't I don't have any clue whether Josh should or should not have gotten these accommodations, but the fact that he got them so easily is, uh, you know, we've been over this topic so many times, but... <laughs> It's just undermining, I don't know, the credibility of the, the test, I think, slowly. A hundred percent. Everyone who applies gets accommodated and they get whatever they want. Yeah. Where does it end? Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't care. I mean, I specifically, especially don't care about the reading out loud yeah. or the extra scrap paper. Nope. Doesn't matter. Who cares? I don't give a shit. Yep. But <laughs> the fact that everyone who asks for accommodations gets them, you know, combined with the fact that in the LSAC's own documentation, they seem to misunderstand their own test and think that people are supposed to finish the test. You know, they're like proud of the fact that everybody who gets extra time finishes the test. This is, yeah, some indication that the accommodation was correctly. <laughs> decided and judiciously <laughs> distributed it's like what no, no. <laughs> only people who are going to score in the like 95th percentile should finish the test yeah so why are you patting yourselves on the back about everybody who asks for accommodations and wants extra time gets extra time and just has plenty of time to finish the test that's not that's not something to celebrate that's a that's a problem with this system yeah yeah uh i don't know i don't know where it stops i mean I uh, I emailed them, Ben. I forwarded this to you. I emailed them asking for if they had any update. Uh, remember, they, they put out that report oh, about yeah. accommodations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember this. 2017 <laughs> or something like that, right? It was 2017. Yeah, yeah. And I, I found their 2017 report, and it, it gives all the data on like how many people are getting accommodated and what they're scoring. You know, it has like a lot of information there. Yeah. And I... I sent an email to whoever it was in charge of that report. And I was like, Hey, do you have a <laughs> update on this? I'm just curious. 
And they're like, oh, no, no, we, we haven't updated it. Yeah, of course not. <laughs> they're, I think they're terrified to update that report because, I mean, it's going to come out. It's going to be like, oh, 29% of all test takers now get time and a half. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah, it could. It could be. It, I don't know what the number is. It's going to be higher. But you, to your point about the timing, it's actually pretty interesting. The number of people who finish this test each section the percentage of people who finish each section should be the same for accommodated test takers and for regular test takers if those accommodations were necessary and distributed correctly, right? Because like, if you really need time and a half, then on average, the same number of time and a half people right, are going to be finishing the same number of questions roughly as the population as a whole that didn't have those accommodations. Sounds like a reasonable proposition, yeah. I mean... There might be some exceptions. Obviously, it's weird because what else is different about those groups? But in general, if the accommodation is appropriately applied, then all it's doing is making them equal with everybody else. So on average, you would expect their performance to be about the same as the rest of the population once you exclude them from that population. Yeah, I would buy that. Instead, but I mean, it was like right in the report. They were just like, it was like a it was like a naive opinion about their own test <laughs> that they were just like oh yeah no we're you know most people who get accommodations can finish it's like okay well but how about the people who don't get accommodations because they don't they shouldn't finish yeah almost nobody should finish the test like literally if for you who you know you're listening to the show if this if you're like just starting out with us if you're scoring 155 that's a good place to be you have no business finishing the test at all. If you're scoring 155, your problem is accuracy. Your accuracy sucks. (laughs) You're skimming the surface and you're not answering the questions correctly. You're not solving them. You're not figuring them out. You need to slow way down. Don't finish the end of each section. Get more of them right. Your score will immediately go up. (laughs) But, But meanwhile, the law school admission council seems to think that everybody should finish the test. Yeah. I don't get it. Why? You know, and one solution, I got a good buddy of mine from college who's a uh, high school principal now. Yeah. And he also thinks that the whole accommodations thing is like kind of out of control. Yeah. And he thinks the solution is to just remove timing from every test. He's like, why do we have timed tests anyway? Yeah. Why don't we just have untimed work that people can do? You know, I mean, you'd have to still make it within a reasonable, like a day or something. Yeah. But why can't you just have a, have a untimed, they'd have to figure out some virtual proctoring thing, but Hey, now's the time to do that. By the way, you know, Uh, like in the online world where you can have the, the weird virtual asynchronous, even computerized proctoring, Turn it into an all-day test then. Yeah. And then everybody can have as much time as they want. But it just... <laughs> I don't see how it's fair at all to just give some people 50% extra time or 100% extra time. Mm-hmm. Seems crazy. Anyway, we should get off of this topic. We're going to piss everybody off. <laughs> More than they already are. Yeah. Good luck, Josh. <laughs> Thanks for Thanks, writing. Thanks, Josh. <laughs> 
Um, all right, this next one is about someone who's scoring far below their practice range on their official LSATs. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I have been listening to the show and using the demon for months, and I felt pretty good about my law school prospects until August. I have taken 13 practice tests under exact flex conditions. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that so funny? It is funny. Why is it so funny? For me, it's funny because I'm like, it's like the like the exact ones. Like, I don't know. Can yeah. you do that? But it's also like 13. <laughs> it's so specific. And like, as if 13 is a crazily high amount of yeah, tests, yeah, exactly. which it's not. Yeah. It's not at all. We have 90 something tests in the demon. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, we're, <laughs> we're laughing under exact flex. <laughs> I think the thing that's funny is that everybody's so like all concerned about the flex. Yeah. Like, ooh, yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's not just the LSAT. It's the LSAT flex. <laughs> it's so different. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, the questions are exactly the same. They dropped one or two of the sections what it's not a it's nothing it's you're it's no different this by the way i was yelling at the class the other night but yeah people were complaining about having to do the test on a screen okay they really don't like they don't they they prefer paper ben okay they prefer paper wow these uh newbies are going backward well <laughs> i was just like listen i know a lot of lawyers yeah do you know what lawyers do every day, all day, every day? Yeah. They sit at their They look at screens yeah. all day, yeah. every day. Sure. Get over it. Get over it. What was their complaint? Ma- They're like, hey, I, I, this test is easier. No, reading on a screen is so much different, uh, Ben. Sure. That's what they were saying. They were all agreeing in the chat. Reading on a screen is just so much harder. Oh, it's so much different. I was like, hey, y'all, <laughs> real, real talk. No, it's not. Shut up. Stop it. <laughs> you're just, you're making excuses. Yeah. Like, oh, I, I'm, I'm sure the reason why you missed that question is because it's so hard on your eyes. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. listen, you know, it, Matt Dumont, former student Matt, teacher for the demon Matt. Yeah, yeah. He reads, he said, for his 1L classes at the University of Maryland, he told us that he reads like six hours, six or seven hours a day. Jeez. Every day? Yeah. And he's doing that on a on a screen. Oh, interesting. So Well, why would you have you you remember, Ben, the big ass books? Four hundred dollar yeah. textbooks? Yeah. You're basically an idiot if you're using those these days. Yeah, yeah. That makes like, sense. You, oh, you wanna you want to pay <laughs> I, I'm not shitting you fifteen hundred dollars for your books for one semester? Yeah. And then you have to get one of those ultra dorky rolling backpack suitcase <laughs> things. Because uh, you know what? I have to pause the show for just a sec. I'm actually sure, going to sure. leave everything rolling. Okay. Somebody's at my door. I'll be right back. Yeah, no problem. Sorry about that. My uh, fireplace does not work and the dude is here to fix it. Okay. And he's, of course, two hours early. <laughs> I love that whole like window economy. We'll be there between 12 and 4. Oh, really? And then they show up at 5. No, 
they specifically said between 11 and 1. Mm. And then they showed it. Well, they're not two hours early, but they're an hour and 20 minutes early. Mm. Oh, well. Anyway, apparently the dude who was supposed to do it, he was supposed to come like 10 days ago, but he couldn't come because he fell off a roof. Ooh. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is a different guy. <laughs> I think the other guy, the other guy might not be <laughs> around anymore after falling off a roof. Wow. But. That sucks. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hazards of being in the fireplace business. Yeah. Wait, what are they anyway. doing? They're cleaning your fireplace? No, it's a gas like fireplace. Oh, okay. And it just doesn't turn on all the time. There's mm. something in the mechanism that's fucked up. Is that why you're shivering? <laughs> yeah it's your no, only I'm source not, of heat i'm not no i have plenty of sources i'm like a fat guy these days so i, I don't get <laughs> I, don't, I never get cold anymore i when i like a couple of years ago a few years ago i lost a whole bunch of weight like i lost like probably 30 pounds okay and i became like kind of skinny for a while yeah and then i was cold all the time hmm. and now that i'm like fat again i, I i'm you're all good hot all the time yeah i'm <laughs> overheating yeah <laughs> Um, hey, so, anyway. yeah, about your students, by the way, I wanted to say one thing. I, I, I think that you're more likely to have a concern about the screen if you're the kind of person who wants to take notes and underline things and, like, engage with the text that way. If you're reading and then visualizing, who cares whether you saw it on a screen or saw it on a piece of paper? That idea is becoming a scene in your mind, and it doesn't matter. Well, I had been talking about Matt Dumont. He got himself some of those blue blocker glasses mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For, for like reading on screens. Yeah, yeah. That's one thing you can do for yourself. You can also change the font size. But this like precious, oh, I need to be able to hold on to the paper. And I think you're, I guess you're right for highlighting, underlining all that shit that we don't even do. Yeah. We, in fact, we actively recommend people don't do. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, folks. You're going to have to let go of that. This is, it's 2021. Yep. And we're not, things are not going to be in print anymore. Things are going to be on the screen. Yeah. Do whatever you got to do to accommodate yourself. But it's just, it's one of a million excuses people make anyway, yeah. you know, and like, I'm not, <laughs> we do have more touchy feely, like less direct teachers yeah. at LSAT demon, but not me. Uh, I'm not, I'm just not here to listen to excuses about why you can't like, if it's not related to your understanding of that actual passage or the question or the answer choices, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, a, it's a waste of time. Yeah. It's inefficient. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like me making excuses for not working out. Oh, poor baby. The snow's not good enough. So you can't ski. Oh no. <laughs> what else? What, what possible solution could there be to this problem? Oh, my. <laughs> I got to fix up that, that uh, broken uh, fireplace. <laughs> It's just like, it's like, shut up, fat ass. You're lazy. That's why you're not working out. You know that that's true. You're going to make a million excuses. Oh, it's too hot. It's too cold. It's too smoke. There were forest fires. Oh, no, it's smoky outside. I yeah. can't possibly work out if it's smoky outside. Like, shut up. Do push-ups. Stop it. It's just what? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, the, the excuses that Elsa, I mean, they, boy, that would be a good lesson, actually. 
like bullshit excuses that LSAT students make. Yeah. Oh, there's so many. Because they have every mistake, you know, every excuse. Oh, I don't like the science passages in reading comp. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, I do better in the morning than I do in the evening, or I do better in the evening than I do in the morning, or, oh, on my test... I was hoping for logic games as the first section, but it turned out to be logical reasoning. And I just had a hard time getting the ball. It's like, okay, how many excuses can you possibly come up with? You're not that good at the test. You didn't study enough. You're not that good at the test. You you haven't done the work and that's why you're struggling, which is fine because now, now we can work on it. Yeah. But until then, all the, all the excuses are just... Ugh. Anyway, so we I propose a new segment of the show. We have hills to die on, which is new, right? We could have uh, excuses that are BS or something like that, right? Was well, a think about it. Maybe yeah. Annalisa can come up with a catchy, catchy title for this new feature of the show. But yeah, yeah. worst excuse I heard this week or something like that. We yeah. could probably get all of our teachers involved on our Slack. Mm hmm. And have have nominations each week for lamest excuse that they heard. Yeah, that's pretty good. Anyway, um, let's see. You you were going. <laughs> you were in the first paragraph still of Kendall. Oh, I, I I even forgot. I'm reading it. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, okay. So she said, um, I have taken 13 practice tests under exact flex conditions. <laughs> And no, you haven't. No, you haven't. You didn't have a, a virtual Proctor U, U Proctor. Yeah, Proctor and U from some other country. And yeah. have never scored below the 170s. All right. Well, good place to be in. Range, colon, 171 to 179. <laughs> That's pretty much the 170s. Yep. Never 170 on the dot, but 171 <laughs> to 179 is covers the 170s pretty solidly. All right. That's pretty funny. I don't know why Kendall's email is so funny. This, is, this really shouldn't be funny at all, but it's hilarious. It is funny. Maybe, uh, hmm. anyways. However, I have now taken the flex three times, August, October, and November. Each time I scored mid-160s. While I almost always finish with extra time on practice tests, I was rushing to finish each section on the actual tests. Okay, well, hey. One thing that we've mentioned before is that most people on test day do poorly because they either go too fast or too slow. They treat it differently than they treat their practice tests. And although most people are going too fast on test day in an attempt to finish everything finally for the first time in their life, um, some people are overly cautious, right? It's like you're like triple checking answer choice D on question one in logical reasoning or something. I wonder if Kendall's doing that. Or the other way you can slow down is by trying to go too fast. If she's rushing through each question, mm -hmm. not really understanding it, then, you have then to... the questions are going to seem really hard. And then she's going to be rereading. Yeah. Getting stuck between two answers mm -hmm. a lot. Right. I bet that happened at Kendall. Did that happen that you were stuck between two answers on several questions? You know, it's, I, I agree. It could be, it could be either way. It could be you're you're triple checking or yeah. you're just reading too fast to begin with. Either way, you're doing something different than what you were doing on all of those 13 practice tests. 
you need to start treating your official test as if it's just another practice test. Mm-hmm. One way or the other, right? Yeah. You don't triple check on your practice tests. So don't triple check on the real thing. You don't rush on your practice tests. So don't rush on the real thing. Kendall really needs to figure out what it is that she's doing different on her official tests. Yeah. Cause it's, it's not that the official test is actually different. Yep. It's that Kendall's approach to it is different. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah, totally. I, I agree with that hundred percent. She continues due to this and several other factors. I have decided to put my applications off for another year. Since you regularly advise applicants to prioritize score over numbers of takes, I plan to take it again. I wanted to talk about this for a half second because she only has two more takes, right? Practically speaking, she's taken it three times. Yep. She has a max of five. You were just saying, look, you're doing something different on your test day. Don't do that. I think that to ensure that she does well on these last two takes is all she's got. And really, I'd like to do her to do well on this fourth take. I think she needs to become more self-aware of how she's taking her practice tests. Like when things feel good, what do you like? Notice what you're doing, how you're approaching the questions um, so that you can better mimic that on test day? Like, I think there's a, a, a blind spot here where she's not realizing what she's doing. You know what else it's, it, and this is like a, it might be a really hard thing for her to fix, but notice how she said 13 PTs under exact flex conditions. Mm, there seems to be this like real emphasis on these details that probably don't matter. Right. The like fetishization of perfection on practice tests. Like it has to be exactly the way, you know, has to be exactly like, and I'm going to just like try so hard. Mm -hmm. I'm going to use the exact flex conditions and look, I did those and why am I? Yeah. And if, if I control it, so hard on my practice test that I can control it so hard on my official test. And it's a recipe for crashing and burning every time you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be playful with it. You gotta have fun with the test. I mean, I'm not saying don't work hard. LeBron James busts his ass. I mean, that, that dude works out ridiculously hard. That dude practices ridiculously hard, but when he gets out there on the court, He's he's playing the game now. Yeah. He knows he's the shit. He put in the work to be the shit. And so now he gets to go out there on the court. And now, I mean, he's trying hard, but he's also like, he's loose. He's having fun. I agree totally. And that's what Kendall's not doing here, right? Kendall's like, today's the big day that I'm going to... And like just heads exploding clearly on the official test and she's choking. Well, right now... It's really... Super common. Yeah. You're like grabbing your fist, you know, and it's making me think of like uh, a race car driver or someone who's got like their their hands on the wheel like so intensely. It's like, look, I'm not saying take your hands off the wheel and look around. You're engaged, but it's not like this like. <laughs> well, think about a bad driver. Yeah. Like there are bad drivers who are just lazy and distracted and don't pay any attention. Of course, that's one way that you can be a bad driver, but it's a really pretty common way, especially for new drivers. Your kids got to be getting close, huh? Yeah. My oldest driving. has got a permit. Yep. So oof, you know, like 
the one of the scariest things you could see probably is if he has his hands at exactly 10 and two on the wheel and he's holding on, you know, if, if he's like, cause you're like oversteering, yeah, right. Yeah. If you're just like, it, it's like, listen, you don't follow the white line exactly every foot you aim for a spot way down there on the horizon and it's you're not you know you're going to be kind of going at that target roughly mm -hmm. and you, you you could have a little looser grip on the steering wheel it just seems like kendall's just grabbing onto the steering wheel way too tightly yeah she says what advice would you give someone with such a consistent discrepancy it's also not a consistent <laughs> discrepancy kendall this is God. I mean, sorry for continually interrupting Kendall here, mm. but I, we've seen this a thousand times. This is not uncommon in the slightest. Yeah, you don't have a consistent discrepancy, Kendall. You have three data points that are below your practice range. Yeah, it does seem like you're trying too hard on your official test. Yep, you need to calm down. But you're. It's a self fulfilling prophecy if you determine that you have a consistent discrepancy. Mm -hmm. You've, you know, the thing is you've put in all the work. Yeah. Well, not all the work, but I mean, 13 practice tests between 171 and 179 is like, there's not that much room for improvement. Yeah. You just, you're going to have to figure out a way to calm down on the day of the test. I agree. She says it's hard to address it as, um, apparently not struggling with in any specific section. I'm worried it's owing largely to nerves and apparently my methods aren't working there yeah i agree and you know actually when i read that the thought that came to my mind um is an app i just started listening to much more religiously i'm back into meditation and I'm, that's awesome i'm convinced that it's powerful the app that i'm using right now is waking up by sam harris and he's got a few free lessons. So at the very least, I would download the app. It costs money, but you could do those free lessons and just start to become more aware of your thought processes and what thoughts are coming in and injecting themselves and maybe taking control of your focus. Um, it sounds like those thoughts aren't interrupting you while you're taking practice tests, probably because you're relaxed on some level. And then on test day, things are getting in the way and you need to become more self-aware of that. Yeah. There's a voice in Kendall's head. That's either saying, this is the official test. You need to triple check this one. Or there's a voice in Kendall's head that's saying, this is the official test. You need to hurry up. Yeah. This is the rest of your future. You have to make sure that you finish the section, you know? Yeah. Either way, that that's not a helpful voice because it's just distracting her from she needs to get all of her attention on that one question in front of her. Yeah. So that she can efficiently, not in a rush, but efficiently get it right and move on to the next one. Yeah. Okay. Sam Harris, Waking Up. Good. Yeah. Um, there's also a book by that same name, but I would start with the app. That's all you need. And lastly, say I do get a very high score in the spring. Will this be looked at differently given that it's my fourth try? Uh, the answer is technically yes, but it's not going to matter. I would say the answer is no. I, I don't, I don't <laughs> see. <a> I'm <laughs> taking it a very literal, like if someone comes to them with four LSAT scores versus one, I, I, 
I've got to imagine that some admissions officers are going to look at that differently. Okay. Does it matter? No. I think that's no. what she's really asking. No. For all intents and purposes for Kendall, it does not matter. Kendall, you have to take it again to get your score in the 170s that you're capable of. Sure, it would have been better for you to get your 170 something on your first attempt or your second attempt or your third attempt. But it's vastly better that you retake it and get that score in the 170s than not retake it and don't get your score in the 170s. Yeah. There's oh, nothing you can do about it. Yep. So stop worrying about it and also just that question to me that question she shows a little bit of why she's struggling on the official test. Yeah, she's worried like she, that this next I don't think attempt, she has accepted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think she has accepted that law schools only care about your highest score. I think she went into every single one of those official tests like this is the one. Yeah, yeah. I have to do it today. You know, she did that on the first attempt. And then on the second attempt, well, like, I mean, this is my second. I can't, I can't, I can't take it a third time. So I have to do it on my second attempt. Yeah. And then she did the exact same shit on her third attempt. Oh, it's, it's my third attempt. I can't possibly, I, I don't want to take it a fourth time because law schools, despite the fact that Ben and Nathan, every single time I listen to them say law schools only care about your highest score. Yeah. Despite the fact that, you know, what Katie took it five times. Was it Katie or was it Carl that took it five times? Katie took it five times and is going to Yale. Yeah. Or wait, no, wait, or was it Rebecca? No, it's Rebecca that took it five times and is going to Yale. That's right. I'm confusing all of our people in the demon who are going to Yale, but (laughs) Rebecca took it five times and got admitted to Yale. Yeah. She might turn them down, Hmm. but she's, you know, she's admitted to Yale and has the option, even though she took the LSAT five times. Yeah. Matt Dumont is on a full ride scholarship to law school. He took the LSAT five times. And specifically, Matt didn't score in the 170s until his fifth attempt. Yeah. And he's on a full ride scholarship to law school and he's killing it, by the way, in his one L year of law school. Yeah. So, yes, if they're comparing you versus someone else with a 175 and they got a 175 on their first attempt and you got a 175 on your fourth attempt, they might slightly give a shit. Yes. But that's a false comparison, right? I think this is the point you're trying to make. It just doesn't matter because you have to compare yourself with a 165 and three tests to yourself right. with a 172 and four tests. Right. And who do you and want I to be? Really want, I want. I I really want Kendall to accept the possibility that she might have to take it a fifth time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Before she takes it a fourth time, she needs to accept the possibility that she might have to take it a fifth time. Or we should reframe it. She gets to take it a fifth time and gets yeah. that opportunity to get a high score and end up at Yale. Yeah. Because if she ends up with a 179, right? oh, five tests, yeah, but you're a 179. Yeah, you get five attempts at it in two, t- in two cycles. And law schools, really, they're only going to care about your highest score. I mean, you need to get your highest score, Kendall. So I like worrying about, oh, but if I score highest, higher... Like she's at, look at what she did. But if I score very high in the spring, are people going to look at that differently because it was my fourth attempt? <laughs> well, step one, they're going to look at you very differently because you have that high score in a good way. That's the thing that really matters. Yeah. I mean, a 175 versus a 165 is not on the same planet. Nope. So they're going to say, welcome to planet 175. 
And then once you're on planet 175, yeah, the other people who got there on their first try, they might be slightly preferred. Yeah. But not 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 nearly as much as people who are on the planet are preferred to people who are not on the planet to begin with. Yeah. All right. For some reason, it just made me think of like delivering money to a mob boss. Like if you owe a mob <laughs> boss, you know, a hundred grand or something like that and, and you're late and um, they're giving you all this trouble and they're roughing you up. And then the next day you come in with the hundred thousand and you've delivered. I don't think they're really going to care that you were late. I mean, they might have. Well, <laughs> if you owe that money. It's, it's yeah, it's much better that you actually pay it than not pay it. Yeah. It's, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, at yes. that point, it's like, here's the money. Like, what else do you want to talk about? Like, yes. Talk to you later. Yeah. People need to just let go of this. It's one of the, it's, it, it, I think that it might be the cause of Kendall's problem. The whole problem mm-hmm. is caused by this worrying about, how many attempts and all the, you know, you're, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It just doesn't matter. Yeah. Focus on getting the best score you can, whatever means that is possible. If you can take it five times and get into Yale, then you can take it five times and get in anywhere. Right. Amen. I mean, <laughs> it, like they don't give a shit. They do not care. Okay. Okay. Is that it for Kendall? I think so. Thanks, Kendall. Good luck. Thanks, Kendall. (laughs) All right. Here we got a junior in college looking for advice. Hello and happy new year, Ben and Nathan. I've been a listener of the podcast since June. I am 22 years old and a junior in undergrad, and I hope to speed up my run to law school by 2022. What? Very common. Young people in a damn hurry. I am currently registered for 12 units this upcoming semester, but I also want to begin studying for the LSAT with the demon. I'm hoping to take the LSAT this June or July. Why not April? I want to apply as early as possible per your guys's advice. My one misstep, however, is that I had issues in the beginning of my academic career. I will most likely finish college with around a 3.0 GPA with upward momentum. I understand my GPA will limit me in terms of top 14, but I am mainly looking at regional West Coast schools. I am not entirely bound by my location, though, and I am open to moving, especially to a state with no income tax. But given my GPA, I am weary those opportunities will be there. I would love your guys' input and advice on my situation. Can I first of all complain about the word weary? It should be wary, right? <laughs> well, it should be wary and it needs to also have some other words around it. Young people these days use weary incorrectly all the damn time wait doesn't weary in the like the way this is spelled just mean tired i i've never yes. seen this usage in this way they all kids all kids all young people use all. weary in, <laughs> instead of wary it's it's true it's fact really wow. literally every person <laughs> every person in the eight anybody under 30 ben hmm. they all do it every single one of them wow um, they, they misheard it, I guess. 
It's weary. Okay, the word weary, W-E-A-R-Y, yep. means feeling or showing tiredness, especially as a result of excessive exertion or lack of sleep. That's what weary means. Yep. Weary, on the other hand, W-A-R-Y, means marked with keen caution, cunning, and watchfulness, especially in detecting and escaping danger. And you would be wary of... Something dangerous or whatever. Bears. Something bad. This is wary of opportunities? That doesn't make any sense. Well, what you needed... Right. So (laughs) they're fucking it up in a million different ways. What they needed to say here is wary that those opportunities won't be there. Won't be there. Exactly. Yep. Right. You are wary of a danger. You are weary from lack of sleep or whatever. Okay. I would love your guys's input and advice on my situation. Do you have some uh, input and advice for anonymous junior in college looking for advice? Um, okay. Uh, I, well, hold on. I was just trying to go back and figure out taking the test in June or July. Um, I mean, you said maybe April. I'm well, let's get fine with that. I don't don't know. I would definitely be shooting for April. This, this person wants to start law school in 2022. So they got to apply in September of 2021, which means That's this year. Yeah. So if you don't take it in April, that means you're only going to have, you're just not going to have all five chances. So I, I mean, not that you need everybody. I hope you hit a home run on attempt number one, actually, but I hope you grind it out through attempt number five. If necessary, let's take, yeah, let's talk. Wait, hold on. We've been talking about this. I think the wrong way. It's almost like the presumption should flip. If you haven't taken the test five times, who's to say you can't get a better score? And why are you applying right. with that score? Right. No, I, I totally agree. Now, if you if you do a bunch of practice tests yep. and you determine that, you know, 170 is like the top of your range. And if you take the official test and you score 168 or 169 or 170, that's near the top of your range. And if you've done 30 practice tests, well, yeah, then, okay. I, I wouldn't hate you if you're, you know, I wouldn't be like, Oh, that's a total shame. If you were just like, nah, I scored near the top of my range. I'm going to apply with that score. Fine. That's fine. But I agree with you, Ben, you, you should, I think that people, people definitely need to flip the presumption. Mm Mm-hmm. I might need five attempts at this thing. Yeah. Let me look at the calendar and figure out how I can have a first attempt and several backup attempts. Yeah. All on the calendar well before I apply at the beginning of the cycle. Yeah. So for for this person, if they want to start law school in 2022, they need to have their applications in in the fall of 2021, preferably in September of 2021. Work backward from that date and figure out when you're going to take the test. But I mean, they are they offering it June, July and August this year? I I don't know if they've even announced the next uh, academic cycle worth of test dates. I don't I don't think they have. They think they're going to make a decision about whether they're in person or not, which seems so foreign. these days. (laughs) Just make it online. 
God damn it. What are you doing? Why would they even be thinking about... <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> uh, well, they have all those tablets that they need to yeah. put to use. So they... Um, the April test is going to be in a different cycle from all those summer tests. Yeah. So it counts. It lets you have another shot. The April one is like a freebie almost. Yeah. I mean a $200 freebie, but <laughs> why not? If you're, if you really want to start law school in 2022 and you're hearing this now in January of 2021, you probably should be pushing to try to take that test in April, then take it once or twice or three more times over the summer then have all your shit ready so that you can apply at the beginning of the next cycle so that you can get yourself a scholarship with a 3.0. Eh, that's not the greatest scholarship candidate, but I could imagine a splitter. I mean, okay, so I'm going to go to lsatdemon.com slash scholarships. Mm-hmm. See if we can find some target West coast regional schools for anonymous. I'm going to assume 3.0. Although when people say around a 3.0, what they normally mean is 2.9. Yep. Um, I'm going to put in 2.9 and let's put in 165. Okay. And let's scroll down to the bottom of this page and look for West Coast regional schools. Yeah. You know what? I had a, I had a, I was immediately thinking about Santa Clara University, Santa Clara Law School. Okay. Right in the middle of Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Santa Clara campus is beautiful. Not as beautiful as Stanford, but it's nice campus. Perfect weather. Half to full tuition scholarship with a 2.9 and a 165 estimated on our scholarship uh, estimator. Yeah. Which again is at lsatdemon.com slash scholarships. Hmm. Let me see if that bumps up with a 170. I'm seeing a lot more green on this with a 170. Yeah. Full tuition scholarship, Santa Clara, estimated with a 2.0 and a 170. I would say bust your ass. Uh, start studying right away. Do a bunch of practice tests. Do a bunch of drilling in the demon. Come to class. Talk to us. But that's if, you know... The email started, Ben, with, I hope to speed up my run to law school by 2022. Which you're like frowning because neither of us even want you to do that. Yeah. (laughs) But that's what you're asking for. If that's what you want to do, I think you need to be shooting for the April test. Well, it's weird. I actually don't mind. Hmm. I don't mind the idea of applying in 2021 and going in 2022. Um, I just don't like the phrase, I hope to speed up my run. Like, where, where are you? What, you're rushing to like get, get there? I don't know. For some reason, it just rubs me the wrong yeah. way. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's like the second you say that, it's like, well, maybe you... Maybe you shouldn't, maybe you should wait a year. It's like how people who don't have time for meditation are the people who need it the most. Yeah. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. So people who are in a hurry, especially this 22 year old junior in undergrad. Yeah. You got all the time in the world. You don't need, you don't need to do that. I mean, if you, now if you 
don't want to take a gap year, fine. But why not take a gap year? Make sure you really want to go to law school. Yeah. I, I think the latest that people should be preparing, if they want to go to law school in year X, their LSAT prep needs to begin needs to be happening at the beginning of year X minus one. Yes. Like they need to be taking the LSAT. Yes. At the beginning of year X minus one. I think preferably you'd be taking the January or February test, retaking it in February or April. Then you still have three more chances in the summer, and then you can still apply at the beginning of year X minus, or sorry, at the beginning of that next cycle, which is in year X minus one. Yep. So if you want to go in 2022, you're hopefully already into your LSAT prep, maybe well into your LSAT prep by the beginning oh, of 2021. No. Yep. Our classes right now, Ben, our LSAT demon classes right now, those people are on board for 2022 admission. Yep. Those are the people that are competing with this person. Yep. And they're already scheduled to take the January flex or the February flex. And so they're already like ahead of this guy. Yeah. You know, not that this person it like can't get on board, but they need to get on board kind of now. Otherwise odds are, you know, like it happens all the time. Oh, I'm going to take it in August. That'll still give me time to apply. Yeah. And they take it in August. Their score comes out in September, but they didn't do as well as they wanted in August. And then we get those, another retaking. We get those questions like, Oh, should I submit my application? But then also retake it. How will schools? It's like, you're doing everything at the same time. You should have done this a long time ago. You're already behind. Yeah. You, why be behind? You Lawyers are <laughs> lawyers are extremely hardworking and very prepared and do things in advance. Yeah. And now with my presumption that you have five opportunities to take the uh, LSAT officially. So if you haven't done so, it's because you've gotten the best score you could have possibly gotten on one of those official tests and you're now done, uh, giving yourself one shot is irresponsible. Yeah. No, it's not lawyerly. It's not the type of lawyer that I would want to hire. Yep. I, I mean, like, it's just, you're got That's a shitty lawyer. Uh, nah, I don't want to, I, I'm just going to take it once and then just go to law school. <laughs> I'm going to prepare okay. for your case the night before. <laughs> And yeah, yeah, if we run into any questions, I mean, I have the next morning, so we're good. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Okay. Um, Thank you, Junior. Ready for these uh, waitlist questions? Yeah, question one. Getting off the preferred waitlist at Georgetown. I recently got on, put on the preferred waitlist at Georgetown Law. Any <laughs> advice on what to do or not to do to give myself the best chance of getting off the waitlist? I actually am curious do you know? if there's, <laughs> is there even like a lower tier or is like preferred no the way. lowest? <laughs> no way. There's only one waitlist. They just call it the preferred waitlist. Oh no, I think there's more than one at Georgetown. I've heard of, they have different names, really? but I think the lowest one is still preferred. It's like, you know. Um, oh, there's like preferred plus. Yeah. Premium or <laughs> top. Just no matter what you get, you feel like special. This is America, you know. Everybody's got platinum a- preferred plus. 
like when I buy those. <laughs> okay. It's like I get a subscription. It's like, oh, what are my options? And they don't have like basic like we do. They have like, you know, premium and then premium plus and platinum. All right, you got waitlisted at Georgetown. Yeah. And okay. And how do I write an effective letter of continued interest? Thank you. Anonymous. Well, all right. Why do you think they waitlisted you? They want to make sure that you're still interested in their school. And well, I, I got, I got two, I got two hypotheses. Your numbers aren't good enough. Yeah. One, your numbers probably aren't good enough to make you a, just a clear no brainer admit. That's almost always the case. Mm-hmm. Two, yield protection to some extent, but I don't think they're waitlisting people who have excellent numbers. I think they'd be trying to lure, lure you in with a scholarship if you were like overqualified. I just don't really see a lot of that happening. You know, if you're a 180 and a 4.0, mm-hmm. is Georgetown really going to waitlist you for yield protection? I don't think so. I think they're going to be like, would you like a full ride? Yeah. I'm going to just look at the 509 report real quick. I am shocked, Ben, how many people still don't know about ABA 509 reports. It, it is just like the, I, don't, I, I can't even describe it, how <laughs> much of a crazy advantage it is to know about these 509 reports. Yeah. And nobody seems to know they exist. The magic search term is Georgetown 509. You're going to see a standard 509 information report. This is something that the American Bar Association requires all ABA accredited law schools to produce every single year and publish on their website. I'm scrolling down. Well, actually, it's right at the top. Um, Georgetown had 10,000 applications Mm. in 2019. They admitted 2,000 of those people, which is an acceptance rate of right around 20%. Yep. But only 550 of those people actually enrolled. Okay. That's a number that Georgetown doesn't like. Georgetown, in order to preserve the mystique or, you know, generate the mystique of Georgetown, you know, they're going to, they don't like it that only one fourth, like they admitted 20% of the people who applied, but then only one fourth of those people accepted them back. It's surprisingly low. I actually thought yields were generally around like 70% or something. No way. Yields are super low because people are smart enough to apply to multiple schools. Yeah. You know, the, hmm. the, the majority of people who got into Georgetown yeah. probably also got into other top 14 schools. And that's what happened here is 1500 of these people were like, nah, I'm going to Harvard or nah, I'm actually going to take that full ride from whatever. Yeah. George Mason. Right. Yeah. And so that's why that's why Georgetown waitlisted you. You're either on the bubble, in which case they want to be sure that you're really interested before they admit you. Yeah. Because that's the worst case for them, right? Is they admit somebody who has marginal numbers. Yeah. And then that person says no to them. It's like, shit, the upside wasn't even there for us. Yeah. Right. So 
you're prob and that's probably the case. Your 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 numbers are marginal, right? Their 25th percentile LSAT is 163. Their 25th percentile GPA is 3.5. So maybe you're a 3.5 and a 164 or something, and you're like, eh, okay, for Georgetown. Yep. So they waitlisted you. You want to give them the impression that you're going to accept their offer if they admit you. So you write them a letter of continuing interest. Does it matter what that letter looks like, Ben? I, well, I would say most people struggle with something to write. In your in your question, I guess you're assuming that like all you're doing is expressing that you are interested and that's what they want to know. That's it? I think you just write them a professional letter that says, thank you for putting me on the preferred wait list. I'm still interested. I would be, I would be thrilled to join the class of whatever. Please let me know if there's any information, any extra information I can provide. If you haven't, you know, if you have an update, you could give them an update. Like you applied four months ago, but now you've been promoted at your job. You could say that. But I, I think it's it's very formulaic, isn't it? Yeah, I think you're right. I would say the most powerful update is a higher LSAT score, but that's also just going to be revealed to them through LSAC. But it wouldn't hurt to notify them to make sure they got that message. Yeah, or I just got my first, if you're still in undergrad, um, I, I wanted to let you know that I just got my first semester grades back and my GPA has now increased to a 3.6 from a 3.5. Yeah, that would be something worth putting in there. But otherwise, I think you're just ticking a box. I mean, I, I think that they literally just want to know if you like them back again. They know you they know that they know you like them enough to apply in the first place. Now they're giving you like a maybe. Now they want you to come back with a like, no, I'm still into it. So you're saying this is kind of like a dating app. You're, Absolutely. You're, someone messaged you and now you're messaging them back. Thousand percent. It's just like a you're opening up some kind of a conversation. They want you to look lawyerly and interested. I don't think you need to overthink it. I think you need to write a two sentence or three sentence professional email mm-hmm. to say, yes, I am interested. I would accept your, you know, if they're your number one choice and you would go there no matter the cost, you should probably say something like that. Yeah. If they're not your number one choice and you're only going to go there, if you want a scholarship, probably don't lie to them and tell them that they're your one true love because you want them to offer you money if they admit you. Yeah. Uh, next one. Yeah. You got it. Dear Ben and Nathan, wanted to thank you, blah, blah, blah. I use the LSAT Demon website and Fox Logic Games book to study for... That's called the Logic Games Playbook, by the way, um, on Amazon. And I made significant improvement in my score. That's good. I applied to quite a few schools and have a few questions after listening to your previous episodes. I am very aware of how to write a letter of continued interest and plan to do that for each school. However... I have also been told that you should overly communicate with the admissions office and almost be up their ass about getting in. 
I was very hesitant to do that when hearing that advice and was not sure how I even do that. Do I email them questions or check in on waitlist status? I know you can email with updates to your application, but with COVID, I really have not had many updates like volunteer work or new scores, etc. Basically, is it beneficial to email the admissions office every once in a while to remind them you are still there, even if you already sent a letter of continued interest? Is it better to just send the letter and be done? How do I go the extra mile when being on a waitlist without annoying them? I've researched a lot about waitlists and also asked others, but I'm not sure what advice to heed and what advice to throw down the drain. Thank you. And I really hope to get this answered. Best A. Okay. Um, I feel like for most people, they don't have the emotional intelligence to do this effectively. I think that if you can open up a line of communication with the admissions office, but make it not seem like you're opening up a line of communication and trying to be up their ass about the admissions process, like you make it a natural email conversation that makes sense. I think it could be an advantage. It puts you top of mind for that person. The problem is most people can't do this without seeming it's, obviously like it, just obsessed. It it really is a dating type of a situation. Yeah. Right? Like it's a it's a flirtation. Mhm. There's a fine line between giving somebody, you know, you have to let them know you're interested for sure. And you have to let them know that you're still interested. Mhm. But you also don't want to be like super desperate or annoying to where they're like, I get it. God, leave me alone. Yeah. So it's a professional flirtation. I think you're totally fine sending one email a month. I I don't see how that could. I think you can find a reason to email them once a month. I think that's the key. You can even say like, hey, I don't want to be annoying. Just want to let you know that I'm still interested in your school. If you admit me, thanks. That's acknowledge what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. That's not like the game is a secret to them. Yeah. So, you know, you could even say something like, Hey, I've read online that you're supposed to stay in touch with the schools that <laughs> you're interested in. I just wanted to let you know that I am interested in your school. If you admit me, don't want to be a bother. Let me know if there's anything I, you know, any extra information, obviously. Thank you. How they can't get pissed off about that no, once a month. They can't. Now, if it was once a week, <laughs> although I would only do that if I ever use that language once, I think you have to like, you, there are ways to ask questions, but you also ask, can't ask stupid questions that are already on the website. You don't want to become overly self-aware and start like making these emails long, right? It requires a certain amount of just uh, putting yourself um, in the other person's shoes and imagining getting an email from someone and trying to respect their time, but at the same time being friendly or even saying, hey, yeah, I'm going to be, if you, I don't know. If you can develop a face-to-face relationship with one of these people, that would be great. I know that lots of schools are doing like video informational interviews or whatever. If you've ever met somebody, you know, like when they give out their business cards and stuff at the, at the fairs, which used to exist, 
keep those. Remember who they are. Greet them by name if you can. Have like a real relationship with somebody. And then you could just be like, um, hey, Gerald. This is a super cool guy in admissions at Seattle Law School, by the way. I, I met him when he was at Golden Gate in San Francisco. With Gerald, you'd be like, hey, Gerald, I just want to make sure that I'm doing everything I can do. Am I, am I cool here? Like, do you need anything for me? Gerald's not going to be mad at you for that. Gerald's going to be like, oh yeah, I remember you. Yeah. It's nothing but a point in your favor. As long as you're not clogging up Gerald's inbox every week with that. Yeah. Okay. Here, let me, Next one. yeah, let me give an example just to like, um, try to illustrate this point a little bit more. You said someone gives you their business card, right? So let's say you somehow like get the contact information for one of these people, maybe at these virtual meetings now, right? A really simple thing to do is as soon as that meeting's over, say something like, it was nice to meet you. I look forward to applying. And if you're paying attention and you're really like tuned into this person, smart people drop one line about the person, right? Like, uh, good luck um, in your travels next week. Like you were listening to them talk and they're talking about how they're going to go travel somewhere with their family. And you say, I hope you have fun in, you know, New York. Bye. You're not asking them to reply. You're not doing anything, but you're being nice. You're creating a relationship with them. And it's short. Those are the kinds of things that you can do. But people just, I'm so worried that there's just so many people who don't get it and it becomes like overwhelming and it's not a real connection. It's obviously just gaming the system. Yeah. I don't know. They want to admit you. They, they, they need, they need people. They need bodies in their school. They need, they need your numbers. If you're a scholarship applicant or scholarship candidate, (laughs) they need your numbers. They want to admit you. They, they know that they're going to have to get you, give you a scholarship to admit you. If you're on the wait list, you're probably not a scholarship candidate. In most cases, you're probably just kind of squeaking in, but they do still need people to come to their school and pay tuition. They need people who are going to accept their offer if they offer. So they have waitlisted you so that they can open up this flirtation to be, to be sure that you're going to go if, if they admit you. And they also want like quality, friendly, professional, successful people at their school. So if you have a relationship, a nice conversation with them, and if you just casually keep in touch over the course of the spring, Mm -hmm. they might not make the final decision on you until the summer. That has nothing to do, by the way, really with you. It's just that they have other better candidates that they've already made offers to, and they're trying to get those people in on seat deposits and stuff. Yeah. But if you're nice and hang around and let them know that you're interested, they'll maybe remember you and they'll be like, oh yeah, that person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to say yes. If we, they've kept in touch, they're going to say yes. If we admit them. Yeah. Let's give them a shot. Yeah. That's what you're going for. Right. If you're, if you want to pay tuition for law school, which you shouldn't. Yeah. I mean, my real answer to all these waitlist questions is, why are you on the waitlist? It's a good point. 
You shouldn't be going to a school that's waitlisting you. You should be going to a school that wants to give you money. That's not to say that it's impossible, lest we get a thousand emails saying, oh, boy, I got a scholarship. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> there are exceptions to all this stuff. But like <laughs> we, you know, for this cycle, for people starting law school in 2021, yeah, most of the people who are going to get scholarships have already got their offers. And we get emails every day with scholarship offers and those aren't waitlist people. Those are people who got admitted <laughs> and got an offer most of the time. So don't pay for law school probably means don't go to law school off of the waitlist anyway. All right. All right. The next one says Ben and Nathan, I love the show and I have been listening religiously. I am waitlisted at redacted law school and it's possible that I won't know whether I'm accepted or denied until as late as May. Yeah. Could be August. Okay. They might say May, but it could also be August. I mean, school doesn't start until September 1st, probably. So. Yep. Um, Matt continues. I'm registered to take the LSAT flex, my third try, in February with the hope of being accepted and avoiding the long wait. Uh, calm down, Matt. You're not going to avoid any long wait. You're going to only avoid a wait to find out, but you're not going to the school sc again, school starts in the fall. So this isn't going to, you're not going to get into, you're not going to be at school any faster. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Okay. So in bold, Matt writes, um, other than using the demon to study for the next few weeks, is there anything I should be doing to fight this feeling of being in limbo? Uh, you need more options, Matt. It sounds to me like you're on a dating app and you've messaged one person and you are waiting for that <laughs> one person to get back to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you also need to be open to the possibility that it's not going to happen for you right now. You know, <laughs> like you might not meet the person of your dreams today. It, it might be, a, it might be a year from now. Yeah, it really might. Go, read the rest of Matt's, <laughs> if you don't mind, yeah, read the rest of, of Matt's email and then we can What talk. should my course of action be if I get denied? Any advice would be very welcome. To Boy, Matt really only has one option out here, right? You can use my name on the show if you'd like. Okay, well, um, I I feel like Matt needs to apply more broadly and probably do that next cycle. I I don't know what his redacted school is, but unless it's super special and the only one he can go to, I don't understand why he's in this situation. He should, totally. He should be getting yeah. other offers. You're on the wait list at one school. I, I I think Matt should just decide that he is probably reapplying at the beginning of the next cycle. He's probably not starting law school in 2021. He's probably starting law school in 2022. If this school comes back and admits him off the wait list and miraculously gives him a scholarship, great. Then he can go in 2021. But this sounds to me like you're not even done with the LSAT yet. Yeah. This is only your third try. Why is your third try in February of the year that you're trying to go to law school? Your third try should be like in the summer of the year you're trying to go to law school at, at the latest. Yeah. I mean, sorry, 
the summer of the year before the year, the summer of the year you're going to apply to law school, not the summer of the year that you're going to go to law school. So Matt's late, you know, I'm glad you love the show. I'm glad you've been listening religiously. You haven't really followed our advice though. You need to apply broadly and early. You need to apply early with your best LSAT score and you need to apply broadly. That's what you would do if you were religiously following our advice. Um, so welcome. Um, but yeah, what should my course of action be if I get denied? No, your course of action should be to decide right now <laughs> that this is not a good enough offer for you and you're going to take control totally. of the situation by getting the best possible score Absolutely. you can get and then applying early what? this year. This is this is going to be horrifying to Matt. But I know you're not going to be horrified. What if what if Matt was like, "You know what? I decided to contact Redacted Law School and withdraw my application for this cycle." It would be interesting interesting to see how they react. <laughs> right? Oh, they might admit him on the spot. Yeah, they might be like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> <laughs> they might offer him a scholarship on the spot. Yeah. You're like, nah, you know what? I, I'm not really that interested. They're all of a sudden they're like, Ooh, we like you. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? like, you look like, Ooh, you're all, you're, you're more interesting. All of a sudden we, we know you're willing to walk away. Wow. We like you now. Yeah. Um, I would be perfect. If, if Matt decided like, nah, I don't want to get admitted off the wait list. I want to get admitted in the fall with a scholarship. I'm withdrawing my application. I'm going to reapply on September 1st. It'll be here before you know it. Then Matt would have two more chances at the LSAT, by the way, not mm -hmm. just February, but Matt yep. could take April. Matt could take it again in the summer. Yep. Or wait, not April, because that would Dep be three times in the same depends cycle. Depends on when he took his first two, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. <clears throat> but Most likely. Mm -hmm. He'd probably get to take it twice more in the summer, which would make it less likely that he would freak out and hold on to the steering wheel too tightly on this third attempt in February. Yep. I think he should just decide right now that he's not starting law school until 2022. That's my advice. I agree because it's kind of like burning the, um, ships at the, sh at the shore, right? I yeah, can't run I like back that to analogy. Them. That's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just commit. Yeah. By the way, it's not necessarily the end of the negotiation for this year. If you it, it, literally, if you emailed them and said, nah, you know, I'm going to retake the LSAT and uh, I'm just going to reapply for the next cycle. Thank you very much, but I'm going to reapply next cycle. You, they <laughs> totally might be like, actually, and just all of a sudden make you an offer on the spot. I've seen that happen before where people have withdrawn their application and then gotten admitted. Yep. Not, not, it doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen sometimes. I mean, you have to realize that you're in limbo. You're desperately waiting for them to reply. They're also sitting there going, who should we admit? Who should we admit? We got to fill this class. This class ain't full yet. And unless your yeah. redacted school is some amazing school, they are also in mild panic. As they Even if they are some amazing school, you know, like even if they are some top 14 school, they they still want to be Harvard or Yale or Stanford. Yeah. And they're not, and they need to be, they try They're trying to be like every school yeah. always is looking up at some other better school. And if they are literally Yale, then that means that Matt is an awesome candidate. Otherwise he wouldn't even be on a wait list at Yale. So he's going somewhere else. And when he walks away, 
Yale could be like, actually, no, we reconsidered. We, we actually would like to offer you admission right now or not, but they totally could. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be shocking for them to change their mind. Nope. Okay. Got time to do one LR question. Let's do it. So this is test 65 section four question 17. Okay. It's about the 1970s. You want to read it? Sure. Watching music videos from the 1970s would give the viewer the impression that the music of the time was dominated by synthesizer pop and punk rock. I'm thinking back to the early days of MTV. There were a lot of synthesizers, a lot of pop, some punk, but wait, hold on before you even go there. I'm already anticipating this person said they would give the viewer the impression that the music yep. of the time was dominated by synthesizers. I can't even say it. Okay. <laughs> well, if, if, if you're saying they would give the viewer the impression, I'm assuming, I don't know yet, I'm waiting for you to say it, but I'm assuming you don't think the music actually was dominated. Yep. Really common uh, passage type in logical reasoning and also pretty common pattern in reading comp they show up talking about somebody thinks this or conventional wisdom says that Mm -hmm. George has a theory that this, there's almost always the butt coming. Yep. So Ben is predicting what he's going to read next. It's a really strong reading comprehension strategy. All right. But this would be a misleading impression. Now, what are you looking for? Okay, that's the conclusion. It's not actually the case that yep. they were dominated by synthesizers. And I'm looking How do you know that's their conclusion? Because they told me what someone else thought and now they're saying that that's wrong. And so I would expect there to be evidence to support that. If there wasn't, then Right. So you don't yeah. Yep. I want to be clear that you don't know 100% sure, for sure, sure, sure that that's their conclusion because you haven't seen any evidence yet. But this is super super common. Yep. You might get this impression, but that impression is wrong. Okay, well, they're almost guaranteed going to give you evidence now. Yep. And that means that that was their conclusion, right? Why why do you think this is wrong? Yep. Why is that a misleading impression? Now, if they give evidence, then we know for sure that that was their conclusion. Yep. And it says, because music videos were a new art form at the time, they attracted primarily cutting-edge musicians. Okay, so the sample is biased, basically. Yeah, and that's their evidence. They're like, oh, all this synthesizer pop and punk rock. They they are assuming, by the way, that, that cutting-edge musicians were weighted toward synthesizer pop and punk rock. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. But yeah, but, but yeah, their conclusion is clearly this would be misleading. Why? Oh, uh, well, because music videos were new. And so they were attracting primarily cutting edge musicians. The assumption being synthesizer pop and punk rock cutting edge. Yep. Okay, cool. Which one of the following arguments is most similar in its reasoning to that of the argument above? Are you making any kind of a prediction here? Yes, for sure. Um, this is a parallel reasoning question. What I just started to do um, in my head was as soon as I realized they're looking for a parallel argument, an argument that is similar in reasoning to the one we just read, I, I, I started to make the original argument a, like a little more 
abstract. I don't like to go abstract. I like to keep things concrete, but I was like, okay, so basically if you look at something, you're going to get a little bit of a misleading impression because the people or the things that make up that thing are not exactly representative. (sighs) That's pretty abstract, but that's where I'm going right now. But that's the kind of prediction that we make on parallel reasoning questions, right? Was the, by the way, was the argument basically good or basically bad? Um, I would say it's basically good. I wouldn't say it's valid because I would say there's plenty of holes in it, like assumptions and so forth, but I, I, I'm like sympathetic to it. One clear assumption, yeah, which is you're assuming that cutting edge musicians were tended to be synthesizer pop and punk rock. They didn't say that explicitly, but their argument not, does rely on that assumption. Yeah, The author would have to agree that the cutting edge musicians of the time tended to be synthesizer pop and punk rock. Yep. Otherwise their argument makes no sense. Yeah. So that is a necessary assumption of the argument. That would be kind of my prediction here is we've got this preconceived notion or one might think X, but X is actually wrong. Here's some evidence for why X is wrong. And it's probably going to be something about a sample problem Mm -hmm. by a sample. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be an assumption I would assume in the argument, Mm -hmm. you know, like a pretty clear, well, if we assume this, then yeah, I can see how the sample is biased. Yep. Okay. A says, our view of pre-printing press literature can never be accurate. I don't like the never in there. <laughs> well, I think it's already conclusively wrong. I mean, I might continue reading it just to be sure. Yeah. But the conclusion of the given argument wasn't, we can't ever possibly know something. Yeah. The- Rather, it was, be careful because we could be wrong about this thing here's some other evidence we need to consider. Yeah. It's not like, well, we can't possibly know what pre-printing press literature was. Yeah. Or what the makeup of the 1970 videos or not videos, but music actually was. Yeah. Yeah. We can't possibly know what the music of the 1970s was. Yeah. Okay. Our view of pre-printing press literature can never be accurate because the surviving works of ancient authors are those that were deemed by copyists most likely to be of interest to future readers. I can see people picking this. It does have the bias sample problem, mm-hmm. but it doesn't, the, I just don't think the conclusion matches, which is why I didn't even want to keep reading a to begin with. Yeah. Right. The second they said our view of preprinting press literature can never be accurate. I was like, Whoa, no, I agree. Uh, a is saying you can't know. The passage is saying watch out. Yeah, the passage is saying, hey, you might think this, but actually there's a bias problem there. It's not saying we can't ever figure out what the music of the time really was like. Yeah. Which it, ha- it would have to have said that in order for A to be correct. Okay. B says, our memory of 1960s TV shows could hardly be improved. That's the same problem. Same problem. Because many of the television programs of the era are still rerun today. So there they're saying, hey, we know everything about the 60s. Yeah. Because we still see those shows. That's not what I was. That's not just not at all what we were looking for. Yeah. C, future generations understanding of today's publishing trends will be distorted if they judge by works published in CD-ROM format 
Seems good so far. Okay. Since it is primarily publishers interested in computer games that are using CD-ROM. We have a bias problem too. They're going to be populated primarily with computer games and that's not representative of today's publishing trends. When was this test administered? <laughs> <laughs> Six, test 65 isn't that old. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's probably it was probably laughable that anybody would be publishing on CD-ROM even when this test was published but the the test is the LSAT is kind of stuck in the mud a lot of times. Yeah. Um I like this answer. Uh, we do have a hey, careful if you just look at CD-ROM, you might get the wrong impression. Why? Well, because people who publish in CD-ROM are biased toward computer games. The assumption of this argument is that the publishing trends of the time are not biased toward computer games to begin with. But if we assume that that's not, you know, representative of today's publishing, yeah. Then I can see how if you just look at the CD-ROM, you could get a misleading impression. Exactly. And it follows the original too, because even though the original doesn't say if, and I, I'm sure so many people would be jumping all over that, but it it doesn't need to. It says it has the same meaning. If you watch music videos from the 1970s, then you would have a misleading impression. That's exactly this is what why this people is. need to not have big lit all the lists that people have of different, like sufficient and necessary indicators, I think mm -hmm. can throw people off because they used wood in the, in the given argument, mm -hmm. which sets up the same type of conditional, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, watching music videos from the 1970s would give the viewer the impression that makes it sufficient. Yeah. What they're saying is if you do this, you're going to get this impression. So, um, anyway, it's a, it's a perfect match, even though they didn't use the exact same language that that's like a, the term people like to match terms. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're right. People would be like, no, but there's an if here. And there was no if in the given argument. Well, there didn't have to be, yeah. they could have said only if they could have said unless they could have said would, they could have said that there's a lot of different ways that we can set up conditionals. It doesn't have to be just specifically the word if. Yeah. Our understanding of silent films is incomplete, says D, because few filmmakers of the time realized that the film stock they were using would disintegrate over time. What do you think? I, I feel like it's kind of the same as the original two answers, A and B. It's like, hey, it's we don't understand now, and there's this illusion that we can't, and it's not even conditional. It's not even saying if you focus on something. No, D's like, hey, people... The, in the silent film era used shitty film. Yeah. A lot of those films are lost. <laughs> There's no, like we're going to get a misconception because of any reason. Yep. Instead, it's just, we, we don't, it's over. we can't know because <laughs> it's gone. Yeah. yeah. E says our notion of fashion trends will probably be accurate. If we rely on TV fashion programs, I already hate it. It doesn't seem like the conclusion matches at all despite the fact that these programs deliberately select the most outrageous outfits in order to get the viewer's attention. Wait, what? Despite the fact? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't this... even make sense. Oh, no, it, it makes sense because they're saying they will be accurate 
even though they don't focus on the right stuff. It's but they didn't give any. They 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 gave no evidence there for their actual conclusion, right? Yeah. They only gave evidence against their their actual conclusion. They gave us a concession. Yeah, they're like, okay, we can see that it's challenging, but it's still going to be accurate. So it's opposite in its conclusion and it's opposite in its evidence. I think this one fails the basically good or basically bad test. Mm-hmm. The given argument was basically good because it was like, well, if the sample was biased, then I can see how we would get a misleading impression. Yeah. E seems basically bad. Like, wait a minute, the programs deliberately select the most outrageous outfits in order to give, in order to get viewers attention, but nonetheless, our notion of fashion trends will probably be accurate if we rely on these TV fashion programs. Why? Right. I read the given argument and I basically understood it. I read C and I basically understood it. I read E and I go, what now? Why? Where's your evidence for that? He's out. And the answer is C. Anything else you want to say more about this? I I really think one of the best tips we can give for parallel reasoning questions is to do that rough thumbs up, thumbs down Mm -hmm. at the top. Yep. Because you can really quickly get rid of wrong answers. Just not even consider an answer that might be like in form. It might be similar Mm -hmm. in structure, right? Even in keywords, it might be similar, but But if the, Argument. If the given argument basically made sense and an answer choice basically doesn't make sense, then I don't care how similar the form is. It's just not going to be the right answer. Or vice versa, right? You're like There's an obvious right. flaw and you're looking at an argument and you're like, this one's actually pretty good. Okay, well then it's out. So People all the time waste time on wrong answers. They're like, well, but it said would and this one says would and it said if and this one says if. And so it's a perfect match. And I'm like, dude, the given <laughs> argument didn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> that answer choice that you're about to pick does make sense. Yeah. I don't give a shit how similar they are in form or structure or specific words. This is a good argument. This is a bad argument. That ain't the right answer. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, wrap it up. Let's wrap it up there. We're on Facebook, nice. Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube um, at thinking LSAT and at LSAT demon. Leave us a review on iTunes if you're so inclined. Email the show at help at thinkinglsat.com. Um, if you have a question for the Demon team, email them at help at lsatdemon.com. That's also where you go if you qualify for the LSAC fee waiver and mm. you want a free or significantly discounted subscription to the LSAT Demon. Please go to help at think, help, or sorry, email help at lsatdemon.com. Yeah. Cool. That was episode 280 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.